Let's rock. Season two, I believe episode nine, but who's keeping count? We have a guest tonight. We have Trey Gamage here from Harkinsville, South Carolina. He is an SEL consultant, a dean of students, so we're going to get into all about what he does in a minute and have a conversation with him about SEL. But before we do that, as we usually do, let's talk about something random. So any sports uh, thoughts, ideas, ideas? I, I got one real quick. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and Michael Rappaport was was talking. And Michael Rappaport, if you don't know him, he has a very dirty mouth. Uh, but I do enjoy him. Um, and he tore apart my 76ers. I was really upset. Really? Because, yeah, because he, he's a Knicks fan. But he started tearing apart Ben Simmons and JoJo and said they should have been doing a lot better than they're doing, which I don't disagree with him. But over the years, this year might be their year. So the Sixers are playing right now. I'm trying to keep a close eye on the score. There's a lot of COVID issues with them right now, but I am pulling for the Sixers. It's my one Philadelphia team that I think can win something this year. So that's Rob. <laughs> that's Rob. Dina Trey. Are they going to trade for James Harden? No, we don't need James Harden. We got plenty. We got plenty. <laughs> Nobody needs James Harden's headache. But Trey, uh, Dina, or Gerard, you guys got anything on sports? What do you got? What's going on with your teams? Oh, my Steelers are out of the playoffs, so I've <laughs> it, was a, it was a very late night last night as we watched them get slaughtered. Um, so the, I think the Browns now officially have the um, largest number of points gained in a quarter. So that okay. happened during last night's game. Yeah, so I just, you know, um, it's warm enough to play golf somewhere. <laughs> there you go. Look, I, my, my 49ers, we had a bad year. Uh, my basketball team, I'm the one thing I got in common with Michael Rappaport. I'm a Knicks fan. We we five and five, considering it's the Knicks, I'll take it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How about you, I'm, Trey? What, what's, what's your sports world like? I'm, I'm excited for these playoffs. This is the most wonderful time of the year. You've got uh, NFL football, the the national championship game on that this is that's the best the best thing since sliced bread if you ask me nice all right well let's get into it trey you are uh a dean of students uh sel consultant you've been trying to develop some stuff as far as adult sel which we're going to get into in a second but give us a little bit of background about who you are where you come from and you know i, I introduced you coming from south carolina harkinsville um but tell us about you who are you trey Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, um, and I'm in Hartsville. So it's like your heart, you know. Hartsville. Heart on, okay, you know. I gotcha. gotcha. Yes, sir. That's that's all good. I'm in Hartsville. I actually moved here right after college. I mentioned I went to Miami, Ohio. That might have been before we were on the air and studied psychology. But my last semester of school, I went abroad, and I was in Europe for an entire semester. And what that really did for me is make the world flat. So while I was over there, I wasn't looking for jobs and I wasn't really concerned about my career, but I was finding myself. And when I what came country back, are you in? 
What country? Went, I'm sorry. What country? Uh, we went to 14 countries in 16 weeks. So wow, oh, boy, okay. I was, right. studying, I was studying in Luxembourg, but went everywhere in Western Europe. So from like Czech Republic, Austria, and uh, Slovenia over to Portugal, Spain, and all that. So th- that that experience really shaped a lot. And education was really what I knew I could step into, residence life, actually, student affairs. And I was living with um, 11th and 12th grade students at a residential high school here in South Carolina. That gave me insight to, like, the student psyche. And while I was still, you know, I was fresh out of college and working with these high school graduates, that led me into starting my own business. The two years while I was there, I started speaking uh, with Toastmasters and, and across the state and nation and also started my consultancy and podcast where I started being an emotional coach for teachers. And that kept on parlaying and snowballing into um, being a dean of students now. So that's what my love is, service, students um, and growing folks. Yeah. And you said you said something before we got on the air here about being an asset based community development specialist or asset based community development partner. Yeah. I, and that struck me as what what is that? So, I mean, this was so going back to when I was studying abroad in Europe, I mentioned I didn't have a job or prospects, but there was one teacher I had, Tim Staples. Shout out to him. He told me about three jobs and I got all three of them. So he is responsible for getting my my first job. But the first one was uh, called the Civic Education Project. And it was a program out of Northwestern and Johns Hopkins. So essentially what I did is I drove to Baltimore for three weeks. We stayed on Johns Hopkins campus with kids from Baltimore, surrounding areas, um, typically probably in the region. And what we did is we stayed there, but we would go and do a service project. So we went to um, the west side of Baltimore and we cleaned up a, um, a community garden. And we also went to a um, like a youth center where, where kids were going to play basketball and, and they were doing the homework after school. And so what asset based development does is instead of us going into a community and say, hey, here's what I'm going to do for you. It says, hey, what, what do you need? How, how can I take these talents, skills, or resources that you have and help build a stronger community for you. So it's very similar to um, restorative practices, but I just believe in developing the person first. And like you, me, our kids, we're assets, and we have to learn how to develop the skills, the resources, and tools that we have in our school community, in our family, within ourselves, to create people that are producers in the world and not people that are only takers or consumers from the world. I love wow. that. That is awesome. Because I, I think sometimes we do from the outside come into communities and try to force a will upon them. And it sounds like you did the opposite. You went into the community and said, I'm here to help. How can I help? And what do you all need? That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really, it's a, a lovely framework. You know, I, I know I didn't take credit for it, but it, there is a, there's a, a great book that I have actually. And it's a framework for building a, a community a strong community. And so again, the same as the restorative based community is looking at the different pockets. Who are our partners? Who are our um, gatekeepers? Who are, who are, what are the, what's the code of our community? And the same thing can be applied from a community to a school. And that's a language that's um, come upon me the last year or so as well is not just the school, but the school community. 
the adults, the students, the partners, you know, the, the entire community that, that encompasses an entire school is what we think about when I'm considering SEL and also building a student, I have to think about their entire community. Right. Yeah, I totally see how that would be that would be very similar to restorative practices. And we've had um, we've had Victor Smalls on and Victor does a lot of work with restorative practices. And I see very much how that would totally be connected. Absolutely. And I'm I'm a big fan of of restorative uh, practices. And I think I I like where the, the questions are going right now, too, because. I think it's easy for you, my, for everybody to forget how connected our education world is to society. So we think of restorative practices, but in the real world, it's restorative justice. My cousin actually is a solicitor or the solicitor general in Fulton County, which means that he is the top prosecutor for all misdemeanors and actually just um, pardoned or dismissed cases for several people that were arrested during the George Floyd protest, he, he dismissed their cases and has dismissed thousands of cases, explains their cases over um, his now second term in office. And so that, what we think of as restorative practices is restorative justice in communities where we can, again, we're repairing the harm that was done in a community so that we can restore a community. So that translates directly to our classroom and how we're teaching kids, let's resolve this conflict before it comes a bigger issue that you have to expunge, number one, but we're giving you the skill to be able to resolve that conflict yourself so you don't get to that place in the first place. Hey, Trey, I'm I'm glad what you're saying is really resonating with me because um, I didn't get a chance to get into it in the pre-show, but you hold a position that, to me, I feel is that I, I was a dean of students for two years. And in my career in education, that was like my favorite role. And with what you do, I'm pretty sure you see a lot of where um, I'm going back because I was writing down some of the things you were saying about the framework for building a strong community. I bet you see a lot of where when you're dealing with a student, and but you're saying that the classroom they're coming from didn't have a strong community and the teacher needs some skills. And then you're trying to bridge the gap because you may not be the building leader, but you're in a leadership capacity and you're trying to bridge the gap of, okay, teacher needs this, kid needs that, admin needs this support. And it's like, how can we build this community where it's not like so punitive and we're, you know, yeah. restoring the harm that was done? If, I mean, Gerard, you're, you're so right. I mean, I think from where I came in, I remember my first time at the school where I'm at now, they were also one of my first clients as a consultant. I just recognized how when I went to go visit classrooms, teachers were reacting to the kids instead of responding. What do I mean by that? The reaction is when Johnny stands up or speaks out of term like you know he is, and you disrupt your entire lesson to address Johnny instead of giving him a nonverbal redirection or having a strategy to to redirect that student and keep your teaching on on track and on pace, you you're switching your whole um, style or swag up there and, and not able to um, respond. A response would be that nonverbal redirection or walking around the classroom and giving Johnny a tap on the shoulder. Don't even say anything. Just tap him and he knows what it is or give him that look. He knows to sit down or to stop talking. Now I'm now I'm building community and I'm responding. I'm not disrupting my instruction by reacting, but I'm responding with a verbal 
or a nonverbal redirection, and I'm continuing to teach everybody that's in my class. And so that's a common mistake too. You before you can restore a community, you have to build the community. So so mm. uh, even another layer deep, I guess I was working with kids, and that's where my heart is with the students. So I was speaking. I thought I was going to be a public speaker, and I was going to travel the world and the country speaking to these kids. So much so that that's why I joined Toastmasters. And my plan was to be the world champion of public speaking and then go speak across the world for the rest of my life. Made it to the top 100 and then lost at the Toastmasters World Championship of Public Speaking, which ultimately helped me recognize that the secret to living is giving and you've got to add more value. So how could I add more value to the kids in this next generation and be um, a, a person that can bridge the gap for the next generation and those that came behind was to work with the teachers? And then, let me, the, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, can you define for us what Toastmasters is? Because I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking of like <laughs> rye, rye bread, you know what I mean? Like putting in there, like, I no. don't know what Toastmasters is. So what is Toastmasters? <laughs> great question. Great question. So Toastmasters is a, a public speaking organization, personal and professional. They're an international organization with about 140 countries. In every year, about 450,000 members, every year they host the World Championship of Public Speaking. Um, and that competition typically has about 30,000 people across those 140 countries. It's about a six-month competition, six rounds, and it culminates in the semifinals, which is the top 100 speakers in the world at you know whatever location, Malaysia, D.C., Canada, whatever the case is. Um, oh, that's cool. You have the semifinal round and the top 10 compete for the world championship. So I made it to the semifinal round of Toastmasters with the top 100 and with some amazing speakers there, one of which happened to become the number three speaker in the world, Josephine Lee. Um, very incredible experience. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. That That's really cool. I, I, I think I see. I think I, I think I see Doug applying for Toastmasters in the future. I would recommend Toastmasters for anybody and everybody. Not even so competition. That's one facet of it. But you start off with Toastmasters with um, the first booklet is called the Competent Communicator. And so how Toastmasters works. I know this is a whole nother tangent, but this is good. This is part of the adult SEL. Part of the Toastmasters is. It teaches you how to format a speech, how to write a speech, how to deliver your message. So to become a competent communicator, you have to give 10 speeches. You can give the same speech 10 times. You can give the same. You can give a different speech each time. But every lesson gives you a different component of speech writing and speech delivery that ultimately helps you become a competent communicator. And that that those 10 lessons right there, those six speeches literally get people promoted literally multiply salaries, literally make world champions. Um, but those little 10 steps right there. That is awesome. I spoke once at ISTE in 2016 for five minutes and I, I almost lost my SHIT. I could not handle it. <laughs> much, much respect to you, Trey. That is fantastic. That is really, really cool. So that's how do you think those... Uh, I was going to say that's what the concept is, is if you had five to seven minutes to say anything to the world, what would it be? So that's mm -hmm. that's what Toastmasters is, is about five to seven minute speeches generally. Well, and that's, that's a 
that's a very powerful thought too. It is. Like, you know, it's like, you know, that if you could, if you could have the world's attention for five to seven minutes, you know, and it's like, then, cause then you really have to think about what is the message you would truly want to communicate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I promise y'all set me up for this. I didn't do it on purpose. The speech that I gave at that um, world championship was called Every Decision Counts. And it was a story about a mistake I made in college. And that also became that that story, not the same, but became my first book, which is an SEL workbook for students called Every Decision Counts, Eight Lessons I Wish They Taught Me in School. That's awesome. So I spoke for five minutes about YouTube. So that's the difference between me and you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that is really really cool so how does that work then so how did that so that translated you into so before the show we talked about you, you seem to have a passion for sel but not just sel with students because we all know that's super super important and i definitely always thought for a long time sel students sel let's help the students let's help the students i think what the pandemic has helped me realize is that the staff needed as much as the students if not more mm-hmm. Because if they're not emotionally and, and mentally sound, then anything that, that their experiences or their thoughts are going to translate into the students. So we need to, you know, pardon the, 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 the analogy we always use about putting your mask on first when you're on an airplane for oxygen. But it, but it is true. So yeah. why do you think SEL for, for staff is so important? And then what are some things that you've done with that? Honestly, it, it baffles me just like it baffles you, uh, to be quite frank. I don't I don't understand how we could how we know and understand that our students are a reflection of our teachers. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, how and why would I give an expectation to my teacher that I don't know that they have the competencies to deliver to my kids? That, that's not responsible, um, I think, is the main thing. And so for me, that didn't really come around. You kind of hear some of the context and background to my story now. So after that loss at the World Championship, it flipped a switch in my head to add that value. And what I started to see was what we've talked about is where, okay, it's one thing to work with these kids, but to deepen that impact and to work with the teachers, okay, now I didn't even come at I didn't even know what SEL was at this point. My thought was, okay, I could spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes speaking with these kids, but if I could spend one hour, two hours training the teachers who then spent eight hours with the kid, now we're multiplying the impact. And so my background was in psychology and I actually had a, or have a certification in emotional intelligence and communication. And so those are kind of what led me to finding SEL and seeing the importance of SEL. And then it's, so you're unraveling a whole lot right now. So I'm going to keep it on the surface until we dive deeper. So once you know you come to understand SEL, now you understand that there's a systematic approach to SEL. And right, that, so, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so I don't know if Dean and Gerard have anything, but let's dive deeper. Because I've often thought the idea around SEL, I don't know how to enter that space until mm-hmm. I started thinking about SEL as self-awareness. Like yeah. to me, yeah. and tell me if I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong, but SEL to me is me discovering and finding out things about myself and being okay with my faults and then when needed, finding support in order to deal with those things that I, I'm struggling with. There's things that I'm really good at and there's things that I struggle with mentally and emotionally. Like I can deal with certain situations and not deal with other ones. And when I recognize those situations that I'm not good with, finding help, 
and then then in turn help me people in situations where I am good at them. So I don't know. What do you think about mm-hmm. that? Or anybody it's um, well and i and i guess I, I guess the clarification is so important because um several years back when um you know it it just and the words self-care have kind of just become this um it, like this word that we toss around in education you know it's just similar to other terms like you know the word rigor how that gets tossed around um quite a bit um and what i i ended up seeing quite a bit was it's like i would hear you know, I would hear schools come up with these quote unquote self-care plans where they would they would say things like, well, you know, um, so during our next faculty meeting, we're going to have everybody, um, you know, do these tasks as a part of this. And I'm like, so mm-hmm. your idea to help promote self-care is to give teachers one more thing to do. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's that's not what this should be about. Like this should be about what we need to do. To, because, because the other thing is that it then becomes a um, it becomes that the teachers are the problem and that it's not the system that's the, the issue because the yeah. system's creating this. Um, yeah. So that that distinction need, really needs to be had because I think if people understood SEL, they would not be looking for self care like quick fixes. And there's really not a quick fix to it. It's it's like a system that has to be created. Right. Yeah, it's, it, it, it absolutely is a system. It's a mindset. It's not an add-on. SEL is not an add-on. It's the missing piece. This, this is what connects the dots for our educational system. And I think to, to your point, Doug, what is SEL? It's taking care of yourself. Yep. It's, there's, there's not a bunch of extra science to it. So simple terms, SEL equals emotional intelligence. That's the simplest translation we can make. And when you pretty much define emotional intelligence with what you said, it's it's self-awareness. It's your ability to, okay, now you're aware of these skills. You're aware of your feelings, your thoughts, your moods, your actions, and how they connect to each other. Now, how do you manage those? That's Mm -hmm. the second step. You're aware of these thoughts and feelings. How do you manage those? Self-control, discipline. Um, Okay, you're aware. You can manage yourself. How aware of you are, once you can connect with yourself, that's the intrinsic part, the intrapersonal loop. Now that same loop starts to happen with the external factors. Now I'm aware of myself. I can manage myself. How aware am I of my surroundings? Can I read the verbal and nonverbal cues of the people surrounding me? Do I understand what they need and don't need? Next step, self social management. How are you managing the relationships in your life? AKA relationship skills. So those are the core tenets that make up emotional intelligence. The only addition is um, responsible decision-making that's in um, the castle five competencies of SEO, which you can embed in other areas. So I, I think the simplest form, this, we, this has gotten so scientific because in education, we're so concerned with pedagogy and academia that we don't think emotional intelligence is real or soft skills or professional skills or communication skills make a difference because you can't measure them. The reality is these skills are responsible for 80% or more of the success that our students and adults face in the professional workforce. They are emotional intelligence competencies. That's what prepares our kids for the workforce. Not two plus two is four. Right. Right. So, Gerard, I don't know if you and Dina have anything else, but I um. So we always talk about equity here, right? So when it comes yeah. to SEL and equity 
And a lot of things that I've been listening and reading about lately is the inherent trauma that comes with the uh, communities of color, right? That inherent Mm -hmm. trauma that comes with it. So what do you have any thoughts about how SEL should be applied? Or I, I hate to say it like that, how we frame our work in SEL around communities of color versus a more only white homogeneous community versus a, you know, are there any thoughts about how that plays out, you know, in that in, in, in that area, or or do you think it can yeah. be applied equally amongst all communities? Do you think there's should we differentiate? I mean, what do you think? So and I'm talking staff and or students. Yeah, so SEL is absolutely for everybody. Should everybody work on themselves? Yes. Should everybody develop self awareness? These are these are life skills. This so SEL, yes, that that is an academic term, social emotional learning. Outside of the academic term, these are skills. Competencies are skills that you need to be successful at life. Though you, your ability to be self-aware is going to be relevant whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're in school, working a job or homeless. That, that your your competency, your ability, your comprehension of that skill is directly tied to your success in life. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I'm saying that right there, did that answer the question? Yeah, I'm just my thought was oh, and I and I'm telling me if I'm wrong, but but would you let, let's say you're an outside vendor coming in and, and the district is suburban district in the middle of Ohio, because you said you lived in Ohio for a little bit, and it's an all-white district for the most part, and you're working with an all-white female staff, would that possibly look different than if you went to a school in Brooklyn that had a mostly black staff with mostly black kids, or if you went to LA and had a mostly Latino staff with Latino kids? Like, Would your approach be the same? Would you think about it differently? Hmm. I see what you're saying. So I, I, I think there's a couple layers to that question as well. If, if I was just going in, okay, the, if I'm going in to the school to work with them and implement an SEL program, absolutely mm-hmm. that experience is going to be customized to that school community. If we're looking at systematic SEL implementation, it's going to be specific to um, the school community. And then there's resources like Castle's Collaborative Academic for Social Emotional Learning. They have a school-wide guide to implementation. And there's actually a, um, a list of evidence-based programs that you can adopt. So in my, my example, I work at a rural Title I charter school that was formerly down the dirt road in Bishopville, South Carolina. Okay. Um, yeah. So that, that was the context of my school. So as I was researching a program, I found a program that had service learning components, family oriented components, um, direct classroom instruction, or excuse me, standalone SEL lessons, because that's what I needed. Um, and in the cultural context that I read that was involved in that curriculum also led me towards adoption. I may not choose that same curriculum if I'm going into the same process with another school. That's a a school-wide implementation. Now, if you're asking me about a two or four-hour professional development session, it would be um, much more on the surface. So I think another example, um, relationships and communication is a frequent PD that I'll do with teachers. That, That can be the same. That 
the the information is going to be the same. How it applies to your community is going to be different. Right. Right. If I'm making sense there. Yeah. Well, it just and one of the things that um, you know, it's you've talked about this before, Trey, and it's you know, and I'm I'm putting the pieces of these things together. Um, you know, teachers face um, you know, we face trauma all of the time within our job. And, you know, I don't think any of us got, no, none of us got into education and go, you know, I want to, I want to have these instances of trauma throughout my career, but mm-hmm. they happen. And there's, there's never been any preparation for it. So, you know, uh, a lot of us have over the years of teaching, we've lost students unexpectedly. Um, you know, we've lost staff members unexpectedly. And, you know, we've had to, to deal with those things. And, you know, I, I so wish that earlier on in my career, or, you know, even before that, when I was in college, and I was, you know, a, a pre-service teacher, you know, I, I, I wished that this would have been something that I could have gotten then because I would have been better prepared to yeah. deal with what happens when I'm in my job. Because it's like, you know, at that point, when, you know, the trauma happens, you're, you're stuck trying to figure things out. And for some teachers, if they experience enough of that, it leads them out of the profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think to your point, um, so how, the same way that our kids are a reflection of us, that means they're a mirror. And yeah. so when I'm, when I'm in that classroom and I'm seeing this, this trauma and these events that are happening, it's raising up the traumas in my own life. Or the, or the lack of trauma that there was, or if I don't, or the lack of empathy rather, either is bringing up the trauma in my own life or is bringing up the empathy for what you're going through in your own life. So I think, you know, I, I appreciate that, that comment and that sentiment. And there's actually only one state that has a teacher prep program that addresses, um, the majority, four or more of these competencies, but most others only address one or two, and that's the self-awareness and the self-management piece. And so, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm still in the um, the scaffolding process, I guess, of putting together my adult SEL curriculum, but the majority of the courses are available on my platform, seleducators.com. And so I think, so to, to your point, Deanna, in what you're talking about, the other two programs that I've seen thus far, um, one is by Arpature Education, who I'm a fan of. I, I think there's there's every, there needs to be more than three options. Um, we can have 10 or 20 or more. But Arpature Education, um, they have a really good research-based, evidence-based approach. It's a month-by-month um, facilitation guide. Second step, they have a very great uh, K-12 program. I, I don't know that their adult SEL program has actually been released. <clears throat> but what I'm kind of thinking of with my program as well is this is an adult SEL program that's you know perhaps one year. But in year two, it sets you up to implement any school-wide program you have. So what can happen a lot of times, too, is say somebody, your, your school decides to adopt an SEL program, but nobody on campus knows what SEL is, right? So now, now I'm expected within the next semester to teach these kids, these kids, my kids, these skills that I haven't learned them myself. So before you adopt a school-wide program, let's build your teacher social-emotional competence and watch how that improves your students' social-emotional academic outcomes. And so I'm, I'm going to do a quick 
breakdown here again this is exclusive right here i haven't shared this with anybody but i'm checking out your website right now and i can't wait to watch this youtube video this is the last course that should go up and it should be up in the next month but the emotionally intelligent educator that would kick off um semester one so you would go through an onboarding in your in-service um program summer training you would kick off your program with the Emotionally Intelligent Educator, and that's where you take an evidence-based emotional intelligence assessment, and that becomes your guide for personal and professional growth for the rest of the semester, okay? Mm. So after you finish that, I'm, and I'm talking, it's, you get a personalized 32-page report where you literally see your, put your scores in a quotient, you get an overall score and a quotient score for each of those four um modules that we talked about but the next two components to close out the semester one of the courses is about um how to set 90-day goals the other course is about how to develop your teacher mastermind and surround yourself with a group of people that have a common goal or a similar goal so you're building these skills you just became self-aware and you're learning so much about yourself you're learning how to set your own goals. You're learning how to surround yourself with quality people. And then the next semester, now we're looking at building relationships and communication. And this is another evidence-based um, assessment, but it's focused on observable communication. And so it looks at what's my communication style versus yours and treating people the way that they want to be treated rather than the way that I want to be treated. And so that that assessment in, again, the personalized um, report that comes with it over 30 pages offers a professional development framework for the rest of the semester that can also be implemented in your classroom with the different resources and workbooks that we've implemented. So that's, it's like one semester, two semester, and there's a third component that includes um, student resources and classroom practices for implementing SEO, um, restorative practices, and then other like SEO kind of pieces to it. So there's semester one, semester two, and then the bonus student support materials as well. That's awesome. What happens if you get your results back and it's like, yo, you're just a hot mess. You should just give it up. Do you have like a, <laughs> do you have like, do you have like a beginner course for those people where I can just go and be like, yo, emotionally, no. you need to just step away from this profession. No, there's nothing I mean, like that. that. It, it tells you yeah. stuff. I mean, I mean, no, 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 and that's that's reality. You know, there there are some folks that you get you you get the eyes open. You know, um, and there's obviously there's different interpretations of it, but that would be kind of funny. How about how about this though? Because you're going to be a new father soon, and, and all of us are parents in this group. And I mean, I know just making that transition from I mean, it's a life changing event becoming a parent, right? It's probably the number one life changing event that I've ever gone through in my life. Is there are there thoughts or ideas that you have for adults that go through certain life changing events like a loss of a spouse, loss of a parent, mm. having a child? You know what I mean? Uh, financial ruin. You know, you go into bankruptcy. I mean. Are there things or, or ideas that you, when staff say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty solid. I'm not that person I was just talking about, that person that's, you know, completely a, a mess, but mm -hmm. I'm really going through some stuff right now. Are there, are there some things or some ideas that, that you have come across that might help those sort of people? Because obviously we're all going through something right now with the pandemic, but that, right. put that aside, what about other things that happen in life? Because I think that for me as a principal, those are the things that come to me when staff come to me and they have these, you know, things that happen in their lives that I have no control over. They have no control over, but they 
desperately affect how they, they operate within the school. Yeah. It does affect how they operate with kids. Are there things or ideas that you have seen work that, that like kind of those go-tos or is it just be there to listen? I mean, what, what is it that you could tell a, a colleague or an administrator or someone that might help people go um, through those difficult times? Yeah. I mean, so this might not be a popular answer, but that's why we build skills. So you, okay. you're building self-aware, you're building all the skills we've been talking about, self-awareness, self-management, so that when these opportunities arise, you know how to respond. Mm-hmm. So okay. a part of self-awareness is understanding the impacts of cause and effect. If, if I can understand the cause of one situation, then, then I can have a better understanding of how to deal with the effect. If I'm, if I am very socially, emotionally aware, if I have a strong level of self-awareness, and the social awareness, and I just lost a spouse or I lost, um, you know, a loved one or whatever the case is, that, that time is going to be hard regardless. So, you know, a, a general recommendation, if you're struggling to see a, a therapist, to find somebody that you're talking with, but, but your emotional intelligence should inform what you need to move forward. So it, it's not, there's not a quick fix or there's not a, a one thing to do, but the practice of making SEL a daily habit. For me, I'm, I'm at a place in my awareness or my self-care journey where I have to journal. Every Sunday, I, I plan, praise, progress. I wake up in the morning, I finish anything I, I didn't get done, I plan out my week, I go to church, and then I go to the gym. Those are priorities for me on Sunday. It's to the point where if I don't plan my week, or like this week I did Monday through Wednesday, if I don't put a plan together for Thursday and Friday, I'm going to feel discombobulated. I'm going to feel less productive. I'm going to feel the issue. So I've got myself on a routine. I've built myself on um, a path to where I can feel myself when I slip. So when I when I slip, I don't fall all the way to the ground, but I can catch myself and come back up. Or gotcha. I can I can look at my journal and say, "Hey Trey, you're feeling stressed, and you haven't written in your journal for three days. Hmm, what's going on?" That's that's very interesting because I I have the same experience because I've been um, I've used a variety of planners and I keep going back to the same one because there's a space for me to 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 plan out like for both the week as well as like daily. And one of the things that it builds in at the top of the planner is that you have to, to identify something you are grateful for and something you're excited about. And mm-hmm. I love that because it, it sets that like, you know, and then immediately underneath that is, you know, what are, what are things you're looking to improve? So it's never, it's never a deficit that's, that's approached with that. It is, you know, starting off with something Absolutely. And uh, Mm. something that you were saying earlier that it just, it made me think of this. So this is a a piece of advice that was given to me years ago that I keep kind of going back to, because I think it's probably one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever heard um, was, you know, you know, and and I was asked, you know, are you, you know, are, are you in a relationship? Are you married? And I, I said, yeah, I'm married. And the person said to me as, as a spouse, you owe it to your your spouse, your partner, whomever, to take care of yourself. Mm. And so it's because you cannot function well in a relationship if yeah. you are not taking care of yourself. Yeah. And so you you owe it to them to do the things that are necessary to keep the relationship functioning. Absolutely. Mm. 
That's interesting. Absolutely. Mm. There's, I, I did put in our um, comments. So I, I started journaling in like 2013, 2014. And that was one of the very first routines that I put together. Some people aren't journalists. My wife would tell you she, she just can't finish a journal. That's not how she reflects. Hers is more verbal or some people record memos. But I've been using these best self journals since 2013 and one of the the best things about life, I think, and like your journey for growth, if nothing else, you're documenting your process. You know, if you if you've heard of Marcus Aurelius meditations or any of these memoirs that folks have, if nothing else, I can go back in time at any point and see where I was in 2014, 2015. And these journals I started using in 2016, but but I, I typically would use quarterly journals. So planning my day. And my year really in quarters, instead of an annual New Year's resolution, I'm setting new goals every quarter. And that multiplied my productivity. And after doing that for about three years, I've switched over to, um, it's called a self planner. And it's actually a six month journal. And it uses like um, project pads and monthly planners as opposed to the 90 day. So it's it's a little switch up, but I need, I'm an affiliate. I need to do a better job of promoting the link. But I mean, those... Going back to the original question, what can adults do? What can school leaders do to support teachers? So teachers in times of need, yeah. you can help them build the skills that we need. These are these are skills. The same way that reading, writing, adding is a skill, your ability to self-regulate, to self-manage, to understand the way you think, feel, and act, those are skills. Absolutely. And those Skills make a the the most amazing difference in your life. Man, Trey, you you gave me a lot to chew on because I don't mean to be quiet, but I'm I'm I actually got a whole bunch of page of notes because that last thing you just said about journaling and what you do on Sundays, and one thing that is click. Um, I always talk about leading by example, and I would rather see my teachers doing that on a Sunday than. Me and my principal being CC'd on a whole bunch of emails that they're like chasing. And one thing my principal and I do, and we've been very cognizant of it, um, we try not to send a lot of emails through the week, but we have a newsletter on Friday that has the pertinent stuff. And if they get an email from us in the evenings or on the weekends, they know it's pertinent. But we try not mm-hmm. to do that. Like, I cannot even remember the last time we sent something on a weekend. And me and my principal, what we what we talked about is we'll see something and so bad we want to respond, but we just mm-hmm. won't, we'll just save it. So that way teachers won't think that their expectation is to chase emails mm-hmm. during the weekend. Right. And we're leading by example. So as you were saying that, I'm like, what Trey is doing, if they're going to do some work on a Sunday, I'd rather be that because that's SEL and working on themselves rather than worrying about the schoolwork. Well, and and, and isn't that reflective piece like embedded into all of our evaluation system? Mm-hmm. Like that's what, you know, cause it's like, and, and we, we have for the state of Delaware, Trey, we have, and I'm sure South Carolina has something similar. Um, you know, we have an evaluation system we refer to as DPAS, but basically there are, it's based on um, Tomlinson's framework, um, which a lot of people are familiar with. And so mm-hmm. what, you know, as a part of that, you know, in order to indicate that you are, you know, just doing good practice within, you know, your, your classroom and your growth, the reflective piece is embedded in there. And so what you have to be able to do is discuss out, you know, how are you being reflective of, of the things that are happening in the feedback yeah. and what's happening in your classroom? Cause there is no growth with that. 
Like you can't, you, you can't make the growth without thinking about, you know, your, your own practice or how things are going, or, you know, if this is what you're basing your goal on, then, you know, how do you know whether the goal is working or not? And if it's not working, what do you do to, to make changes? Mm -hmm. The reflective Mm -hmm. piece is so important. Yeah. That alone, reflection, reflection, reflect that, that's a, that's one key component of SEL. If you, if you, and then, so, so when we, when we say, so like, there's a lot of stuff, I think to your point, Gerard, um, a lot of what we're saying and what we're discussing, I don't think that I'm saying many things that are novel or new ideas. I think that a lot of the things that I'm saying may be said in a different way. It may be a different approach, but they're things that, that seem to be principles. I feel like these, like these are, I don't even know what what word I'm looking for here, but their 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 skills are more truths. Like it's things that you've already known. There's just different ways to say them. You can say passion. You can say energy. You that you know. I, I've read a lot of self help books. So I, I what I recognized in and I don't know how much time we have. Some of my favorite authors. Much as you want, were, man. We're not going anywhere. I'm loving this conversation. I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can do two hours, Trey. It don't matter. <laughs> I'm gonna still try to test the end of this national championship game, so we'll, we'll see. But, but so so when I mentioned back to the beginning of our episode, when I went to study abroad, Og Mandino, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Napoleon Hill, Tony Robbins, Les Brown—that's six authors right there. I read, you know, 15, 20 books by them and, and several other books. And what you start to see when you read all these self-help books is that there's really about 10, 15 core principles that everybody talks about, and they just say them in their own way. If you can pick two, three, some people five, my book has eight principles. The principles that I'm discussing are the same truths that Aristotle spoke of 2,000 years ago. They're just in my language. And, and, and that goes into the specificity, again, of how does this look in your school community? It just changes the language. The truth doesn't change. It, it just looks different depending on, on who's delivering the message. So where you are already practicing SEL, it's not extra. It's not in addition. You're putting a name and a reason behind the action that you've been doing. You've been reflecting. Mm-hmm. You you've been you ask these students all kinds of of self reflective questions. Why you do that? What, what what were you thinking? Go sit down. You direct the students with all these skills. If you change one or two words, or even your mindset when you're talking to your kids, it becomes a more systematic approach to developing your community. Yeah, if you just change your tone, sometimes the tone yeah. in which you say something is super important. All right, real quick, I, I got the two links, and I know this is kind of a running joke, an inside joke with this podcast. These, <laughs> two, this going. These, two, these two links with your uh, website will be a part of the show notes because I put it in our ongoing <laughs> notes video when we upload. So, Trey, you don't know this, but I'm, I'm notorious for saying it's going to be in the show notes and it never appears. But I promise you, you can check later. It'll be there. Um, and and if y'all are listening, hold them to it. <laughs> <laughs> So, Trey, I, um, I've been doing a little research on you. You're up to episode 180 of your podcast so far. That, yes. is, pretty impressive. that is pretty impressive. So so that being said, are there any, like, major themes? that? Because you it looks like you interview people. You have you just yourself. Are there any major themes that come out and that have come out of 
180 podcasts. I mean, that's a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we hit on so much today too. So, okay. um, and it's all connected. I think the dots all connect. You connect the dots looking backwards after that Toastmasters loss at the world championship. That was in August in February. My goal was to start a podcast to add value consistently for free. Mm-hmm. And the theme was challenging, meaningful, significant conversation on how to make the pain in your life your platform for purpose. I know that's, that's mm. heavy. I, I, I Sometimes I get too deep, y'all. I can't help it. Say that again. <laughs> Say that again. The pain in your life, the platform for purpose. Yeah. Simply put, pain is purpose. So I would I would talk to people about. And so this this concept is also in every professional development training. My my curriculum, it's, it's called art. There's a there's an art method to, to what I do. Um, awareness, reflection, transition. So that's where my line of questioning went. First, awareness is your passion. Passion is what you're willing to suffer for. Reflection is purpose or reason. Your reason purpose equals your reason for doing um, and transition is the how. How do I become that person? When you have awareness, when you reflect and transition, you become an artist and you can inspire special things. And so that that was a concept that came from the podcast yeah. and, and is now in. I use that in everything, every speech I write, every, I, that that whole concept is just uh, that's a whole nother story there. But that so that's a theme for the first 72 episodes What's pain is purpose. Okay. Seventy seventy two and beyond, I actually took about a three month break. I worked with a business coach and I realigned um my consultancy with my podcast to focus more on education. And so since episode seventy two, we've had a, a we started off with a huge focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, school leadership, and um Actually, like restorative practices was a pretty strong topic, but we've since like SEL has been the the main point that that that's been um, our big theme, and we still get diversity, equity, and inclusion, and still a little bit of school leadership, but it all stems from an SEL lens. Interesting. Uh. And and let me let me just tell you how much I appreciate what you've been saying because one of the things that we we come back to a lot with what we talk about on the podcast is the the fact that oftentimes when people are looking to um you know they and I don't even want to say it's they're looking to improve what what it devolves down to is checkboxing you know and it's like they just want to go well let me let me check off this this and this and it'll get me this result or it'll make me not a racist or it'll make me you know um it'll 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 give me a quote-unquote culturally competent classroom so they want to they want to check off a bunch of boxes and really um you know any work that you do that's worth doing um that's going to benefit your life and benefit the life of other people cannot be checkboxed and SEL falls into that because it's like, it's the equivalent of, you know, I've been, um, I've been working on my diet and just generally speaking, just trying to be healthier. And, you know, it's like one of the things that I go back to, cause I've, I've done keto a lot. And with that, it's like, you know, you can't just go, well, let me eat these types of foods and I'm just going to be healthier. 
It just, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work like that. And so, you know, there are a lot of things you have to take into consideration. And so anybody who can maintain any weight loss on keto has to, has to look at a lot of factors in order to keep going with it. Cause there are a lot of people who jump onto it that end up not being successful. Um, and they're like, you know, well, I, I couldn't do it. It just, it didn't work for me. I was hungry all the time. And it's, you know, it, it just, you can't just go, well, let me check off the boxes. And SEL really is something you can't just go, well, I'm going to pick and choose these things. And mm. then I'll just, uh, I'll feel better and the kids will be better. It yeah. just doesn't, it's not that simple. And so I love that you broke that down and talked about levels of it. And, you know, the, the fact that y- you have to, you have to go through the process. It's a process. Mm, mm, mm. And that, that's, I, I'm, I'm, that makes me so happy that that's what you took away. I, I wasn't, I mean, I'm y'all, I, I love the format because I'm just up here talking, but that, that piece that you just said right there, the process that that's, that's it all. I mean, it, it's a whole lifestyle and a process to get in there. Um, and you've still got me thinking about the podcast, you know, four years, 180 episodes of podcast. I'm, you you heard the objective was to add value consistently for free like that that value is still there and that mission is still there to add value for folks for free and and because i've chosen and continue to choose to dedicate value to people that the value is starting to pay dividends in return because now these 180 episodes this is where i turn to for my content this is where i turn to for my book this is where i turn to for some courses this is where I turn to to continue to re-deliver that value in other way. And that's all come from documenting the process in a growth over four years to be able to get this to this point and then be able to look back and say, oh, that that lesson still applies. That truth still applies. Oh, I learned that three years ago. You know, th- those th- that process is what um, makes the world go round. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I that bet- is awesome. I bet what you say, it hit Gerard differently than it hit me, than it hit Dina. So, I mean, to that point, too, your experience and what you said tonight, I mean, it hit us in different ways. I mean, I took a lot from this conversation. So, I, I know we're coming up on one hour. We probably need to end it, but I really appreciate the conversation. I got two real quick things to end it off, but I don't know, Gerard, if Dina, you got anything that you want to ask or, or throw in there before we're done? Um, yeah. Mine are just serious uh, stuff. Trey, could you you throw your podcast name out there? Because I I know we talked about that, but I would like other people to listen to your podcast. So can you throw the name out there for us? It's called the Dash Podcast, and it's on iTunes, Spotify. It's hosted on um, SoundCloud and in most other places. I actually find that it comes up better if you type in my name. If you type in Trey Gamage, it, it comes up before if you type in the Dash Podcast. There's some knockoffs out there. I think that's how I found it. Mm. Yeah, I think With that's how I found it. I'm going to check it out. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm going to check it out tomorrow morning on my way to work. So I got a good long commute that I get to listen to po- lots of podcasts. So I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you cool. Yes, when we get it in, the commute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so two quick questions for you. Number one, what position did you play in college? Oh, great question. So I was um, – I was a star, and that's kind of like a big nickel slash outside linebacker. So uh, in high school, I was a middle linebacker, outside linebacker, and in college, I was an outside linebacker. So I was guarding the tight ends, man-to-man, and the running backs, and sometimes I was out in the slot. I had some blitzes here and there. I I, I did a little bit of everything. Nice, nice. So you were just hitting people. 
Run, see ball, get ball, run and hit. Don't ask me to catch it. Don't ask me to do nothing else. I can run and I can hit. Yes, so back, back then the pain wasn't about your emotional. It was more about your physical. I'm just going to bring the pain oh, on you guys and you're going to oh feel it. You, you want to have a whole another hour-long conversation. I, <laughs> I, I was not um, – my mindset is not that of a football player. So before practice, <laughs> it took me about 20 minutes to get in the mindset to hit folks the way that I had to play in that game. That's oh. funny. Wow. And who you got tonight? You went to school in Ohio, but you're from the South. So you taking Alabama or Ohio State? <laughs> so I, I'm actually, I'm from Indiana. My my hometown is South Bend, Indiana, where Notre Dame was from. So Notre Dame, we already don't wow. count on, and they lost. So um, I get to cheat, and I already see the score. Alabama's up, so I'm going to pick Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gerard, you got anything else for Trey? I really appreciate this conversation. Uh, this was this Man, was awesome, both. Trey. Thank you so much. Um, the, the pleasure is mine. I, honestly, this is a, a highlight of my night and a great way to kick off the 2021 year. One of my goals this year was actually to reach out to uh, more podcasts and invite guests to my show and then be guests on their show. So you guys are um, helping me kick off the new year with the bang. And this is um, one of the Probably, I'm going to say the best interview that I've been on myself. I, I've been on a few at this point, but I, I say this was the best, the most comfortable. Love what you guys are doing. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you no so much. No matter how many more podcasts you do, you keep on saying that same thing. Hey, just hold <laughs> on here a minute. Hold on. Don't go anywhere yet, but we're going to end it. All right, guys. Educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.